0: What's up, Florida State sports fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Knowles Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler here with Carter Carls, Florida State beat writer for the Dallas Democrat, and we got a spring game. We've gotten to watch so much of the spring, and I think we're both excited, and I know the fans are excited to kind of get to see themselves now uh, tomorrow at, uh, at at 5 p.m. in Dope Campbell Stadium for the uh, spring game. Like, it's not entirely putting a bow on, on spring. They'll have one more practice after that next week, but... It's the, I mean, it's the public display of the strides the team has made this spring that we've seen and we've written about.
1: Yeah, and you really think about Mike Norvell's time here, uh, starting in the pandemic, and even last year, probably didn't feel fully like his team. Well, now you're you're starting to kind of see his fingerprints all over the roster. You've you've seen guys that he's recruited uh, personally. Uh, uh, make a lot of plays for the team. You've seen guys that they've gotten from the transfer portal make a lot of plays. They've got 23 newcomers uh, this spring, uh, 10 transfers, 13 uh, early enrolled uh, freshmen. So, um, yeah, lots of uh, interesting storylines. Jordan Travis being that submitted starter didn't really need – I don't think anyone really questioned it, but Mike Norvell confirmed it uh, after – The uh, second scrimmage last Saturday Um, so yeah uh, lots of lots of intriguing storylines I think uh, what I'm most looking forward to is is really just the offense uh, seeing um, how much of a step they've taken this offseason from uh, the running back room adding some more guys in there like uh, like Trey Benson Rodney Hill right and then also you know, having that number one guy at quarterback submitted there, in uh, Jordan Travis. What steps has he taken uh, to to prove that that he's that guy? I think we've we've seen some of that uh, this off season. And then lastly, the wide receiver room uh, just uh, hasn't been great in the past, uh, but they added four transfers, uh, seeming like they're improving. Uh, also, should mention the offensive line; uh, they added a couple transfers as well. Don't expect Darius Washington to be available on uh, Saturday, so it might 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 be taking a step back. But I think collectively, when when Washington is healthy, uh, this is a group that will look better than it has uh, in the past. So uh, all eyes for me will be on offense, uh, seeing seeing maybe the progress that they've made. Uh, what about you, Kurt? What are you what are you kind of looking for?
0: Yeah, I mean the, the offense. I like you said the. We don't expect Darius to play. It's possible another player too doesn't play or doesn't play much in in tomorrow's game. And it, it, I think if that's the case, the offensive line won't look like it did earlier this spring. I think like we expected it to look coming into the offseason because I think you feel better about a group of guys they have there, but they don't have that depth built up to the point yet where you trust being able to put your 8th or ninth guy in with the uh, the starting 5. That's just a, a challenge when a number of guys have uh, missed some time. So I, I, I worry a little about, I think, the defensive line, especially with how good we good we think the defensive line is going to be. I think I worry a little about, uh, uh, about how the offensive line holds up tomorrow and how that may disrupt some things. We've seen that disrupt some things kind of down the stretch of spring. I'm interested to see who dresses out after missing some time this spring of that group. But... Aside from that, I mean, you talked about it. The thing you always heard with Mike Norvell when he got here was how much of an offensive guru he was, how involved he was in that, how how much inventive he was as a play caller. And we've seen that. We've seen, despite some some inefficiencies, kind of how he's been able to craft up big plays, how they're able to scheme up the run game, how they've been able to hit the explosives. But I think this is the year where you really start seeing. The, the offensive depth chart that kind of most resembles what he needs to really maximize his ability as an offensive play caller as an af- offensive mind, and yeah I think I think you the, a lot of the guys you talked about I mean I'm I'm excited to see how much Micah Pittman and 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 Johnny Wilson make an impact kind of right away obviously sad Winston Wright won't be among them but we've seen a lot from both of those guys this spring Micah Pittman I think was a guy we both mentioned in our prediction story we wrote today that's going in tomorrow's uh e-edition of the paper. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Michael Pittman, I mean, it's not surprising when you look at his pedigree, but it is a little more surprising when you look at him being a guy who didn't produce a ton. I know he battled some injuries here and there at Oregon, but didn't really... What didn't have a ton of production at Oregon isn't a guy like Winston Wright, who led West Virginia in receiving yards the last two years. But he's come in here and really played, I think, bigger than his size and had a bigger impact than I thought. I mean... He may be 5'11", but he makes some really impressive contested catches. He's had quite a few of those. Is definitely a guy who could do more than just be a slot option. I mean, they've used him in quite a few ways on gadget plays. I think he can line up out wide. I think he's shown he's able to battle with even, like, a true cornerback as opposed to, like, a nickel guy in the slot. And uh, he's made some really impressive plays. Johnny Wilson has looked good as well. I think he's a guy who there's going to be some more up and down. I think he – I wouldn't be surprised if there were a drop tomorrow. I mean, obviously, if a guy – who looked like him who ran like him was a consistent consistent catcher i'm not sure he would have been a guy who was transferring away from arizona state i'm not sure he was a guy who would have made it to arizona state in the first place but he's made some really nice plays like when he's on it is a lot of fun to watch and i wouldn't be surprised if he has a a wow type play tomorrow
1: yeah you mentioned the wide receivers um also the running backs too i I think um have have taken a, a step forward this spring Sean Ward, we, we talked to him a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, he, he's had quite the progression, being being the walk-on, kind of that the afterthought on the team, uh, then, you know, getting a scholarship, being a, a top contributor uh, last year, and then now being kind of the lead guy uh, in the room, um, and it certainly uh, looks like his room uh, this offseason, but still expect there to be a rotation. He's not going to be, you know, a true workhorse or anything like that. So you're going to see a lot of, uh, different guys in there from Lawrence to to Trey Benson, uh, 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 DJ Williams, a couple, a couple other guys as well. Um, and I think it's a group that has taken us forward, not just with Ward, but you look at to uh, you were telling me the other day about how, uh, some of the stuff that he's been able to do between the tackles, uh, you know, breaking tackles uh, and, and showing just a little bit more power, isn't something he was really able to do. Being, you know, you know, about uh, 185 pounds uh, last year, he's put on a little bit of weight, been a, been a little bit more stronger. Uh, we also talked with Trey Trey Benson, the the running back uh, transfer from from Oregon. Um, a guy who suffered a, a, a major leg injury uh, in December of 2020. Uh, didn't really know if he'd probably be 100% ever again, but he he told us he, he feels like he's finally back to, to where he was. Uh, and you can see it. He's, he's the biggest running back on the roster, but he's got some pretty good speed at his size. I believe he's 6'1", 215. Um, and I think what I like about this Florida State running back room is uh, a lot of these guys offer kind of different uh, different things for you, and I, especially Trey Benson being kind of the biggest guy in the room. So when you have some of that uh, versatility and that situational uh, aspect to you, it allows you to do a lot of uh, different things. You have that in the wide receiver room as well, with you know what Pittman can do, what Wilson can do, and I just think you know when we talk about this offense and taking that next step forward. You know, do they have the guys necessary to be an elite offense? I, I don't think so. But they're starting to get more playmakers. They're getting more versatile guys that can be better for situational football and, and just winning one-on-one type of situations.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, you, you talked a little about the, uh, the quarterbacks. And, I mean – Mike Norvell, like you said, quickly downplayed the notion of any type of quarterback battle. And he was right to do so because Jordan Travis, I mean, has looked the best, has seemed to have made made further progress. He just continues to gradually get better and better. It's kind of been throughout his Florida State career. But the fact that, I mean, if you told me before the start of spring that there was kind of legitimate reason to at least suggest that question, I wouldn't have believed you because I just – I wouldn't have thought A.J. Duffy would kind of – step in right away and do that. And I, AJ's had his moments, but he's also, I mean, look like a guy who needs that red shirt year, just like just about every quarterback does. I mean, the the true freshman who comes in and immediately becomes the starter or even really contends for the starting job as a, as a quarterback is extremely rare. But Tate Rodemaker, I mean, Saturday's a big day for him. I think the case can be made. It's maybe as big a day for him as for anyone on the roster, just from a standpoint of, I don't think many fans believe he could remotely be an option kind of long term, and I think he could show with a showing. even if it doesn't count, even if the, uh, I mean, he can't get hit, the Bullets are still alive, and it's still a a game setting, the only thing being, I mean, he's not going to be able to get sacked, but they could pressure him, they can force decisions, and he's looked better in that regard this spring, I mean, I the uh, Mike Norvell glaring at him kind of meme from last year's spring game, I mean, it was a brutal day for him, even in a spring game setting, so... He's, he's made remarkable progress this spring, and I think he'd really cement like, hey, I can be a capable backup option if he comes out and looks like he does tomorrow, like he has really throughout the spring. I mean, he's uh, he's not been 100% consistent, but it's been as good as he's looked throughout his Florida State career by a pretty wide margin. Switching, uh, switching sides of the ball, I mean, I think each kind of level of the defense has given you reason to be optimistic about what they'll look like this next season, this spring. Is there one in particular you're excited to see what they do?
1: Uh, For me, it's the defensive backs. Uh, I just think it's a position that has been pretty deep uh, this spring. I mean, you have Jarvis Brownlee leave the team and it it doesn't really affect them that much. Uh, And and that's not something you could have said uh, in years past, but um, with, with Florida State, I think one of the biggest things for them this spring has been the development, the emergence of Akeem Dent, a guy who has had to switch positions throughout his Florida State career, settle into to safety, and has really just uh, been that playmaker that they've been looking for. He's leading the whole team in interceptions this spring, I believe, with, with six,
0: right? Um, uh, six turnovers. I'm trying to think if any of those was a fumble. No more than, like, one. It's. I mean, he, he leads the team. He has been an interception machine for sure.
1: And, you look, you know what you're getting from Jamie Robinson. We've seen what Duke Cooper did at the end of last year. Uh, and so for Akeem Dent to do that uh, just makes this uh, defense uh, go to another level. And, and let me just say, I, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the offense, but uh, if if you were to tell me that the defense were to dominate, uh, on Saturday, I, I really wouldn't be that surprised because they've had some pretty dominant uh, stretches uh, this spring, yeah. uh, especially toward the, the the latter half of, of spring football. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, I think there was a, a stretch earlier in a practice earlier this week. It was like maybe 20 snaps from the first team, second team, and third team offense. And no, none of them got a single first down across like 20 snaps. I mean, the defense was looking that dominant. Every run was getting stuffed. Every pass, it, there was either pressure or great coverage. It's just been top to bottom on all three levels, uh, a really stout defense. Um, and so ultimately, I think what has been impressive has been the, the secondary, considering losing Jarvis Brownlee. Um, and, and some of the newcomers have, have really flashed, and, and some of the, the veterans have uh, impressed as well. So it's, it's, it's a group that I think will be a strength of this defense, um, and if Dent keep, keeps playing the way he is, uh, it, 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 it could be a, a, a pretty good defense in college football next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy notion, considering FSU is losing the ACC Defensive Player of the Year in Jermaine Johnson and another all-ACC defensive lineman defensive end in Keir Thomas both of whom were kind of those one-year transfers. But I think despite losing both those guys and losing a veteran linebacker and Emmett Rice, I think the defense top to bottom is going to be better in 2022 than it was 2021. I've seen enough from the pass rush to make me think that there will be enough improvement in the secondary with so many guys coming back. And especially, I mean, linebacker's probably been maybe the biggest surprise on defense to me, just from a standpoint of, I mean, Tatum Bethune has been everything that staff they would might be getting and more. I think he has been, I mean, one of the most consistent players on either side of the ball really throughout the spring. Has, has been very impressive, is gonna play an instant role right away after being a 100 tackler, 100 had 100 tackles last year for UCF. Kalen Deloach has definitely taken that next step and really built off his breakout 2021 season. And I've also seen some real strides from um, DJ Lundy and Stephen Dix. I would say Stephen Dix, even more surprising than DJ Lundy. Steven Dix played a lot as a true freshman, had his liabilities, especially in coverage when kind of asked to take on those duties, and didn't play a ton last year. I mean, he got passed by Lundy. He got passed by DeLoach. Amari uh, Gaynor played a good bit more than him. and I, 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 I wasn't sure what his kind of future held. I wasn't sure if he was going to stick around to see that because I feel like the notion of starting a bunch as a freshman and then barely starting at all in your second year or barely playing at all in your second year – is the type of thing that would make a lot of guys transfer. But Stephen Dix has stuck it out and looks genuinely better. Does not look nearly as much of a, a liability in coverage this this year. The same for DJ Lundy, who played a lot but was occasionally a liability in coverage. And I've seen much improvement from from him in, in what he can do in terms of downfield and and staying with. Especially staying with tight ends, which is I would say going to be a major responsibility more than... You're not going to ask to cover a, a receiver a ton as a, a linebacker, but you may have to go with the tight end. And and I've seen him do that capably quite a few times, enough to make me believe in the growth. So, I mean, I think when you piece all that together with Amari Gainer, who I mentioned kind of choosing to come back for another year, I, I think linebacker, I, beyond those five... I don't know about the depth. I think you've seen signs from Omar Graham, but I'm not sure he's going to play a ton year 1. But I mean, those the, those five, I think you feel real good about having those five guys and what they'll be able to do in the middle of the defense.
1: You know, we talked about our favorite, uh, you know, the the positions we're looking forward to, but we got to we got also mention Jared Verse, right? I mean, this yeah. guy <laughs> I think what, when the spring started, you know, we, we, we'd we seen all the chatter, we'd seen all the expectations. We're kind of like, okay, like let's not call this guy the next Jermaine Johnson, right? Like Jermaine Johnson is going to be a top ten pick this year. Like that's, that's crazy expectations to put on a guy who, you know, hasn't played power five football yet. Well, he's come in and all he has done is gotten better and better and better. It feels like every practice he's – more and more impactful there was a I think the last practice we went to he had back-to-back uh sacks in one in one sequence yep and and he's just a dog man I mean I I just love watching him more than any other player on this team because he's got so much just fiery passion to him he's always talking trash he's always you know firing up everyone else on the defensive line you know we I talked with Derek McLennan about this he's having more fun than he has ever played. And a lot of it is because of Jared Verse, because of that energy he has just, you know, fueled that, that unit with. And then, you know, you see the guy's speed at his size, six four, two fifty one. Um, All he really needs is that speed rush off the edge to get to the quarterback. I mean, it, it is kind of his patented move and, uh, and he's gotten to, 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 Travis and, and really has, has matched him, um, stride for stride at times. I mean, he, he, has shown some really, really, uh, great speed, uh, for a defensive end. So, um, he's the guy that we both picked as our defensive MVP, uh, for the spring game as our prediction. Um, I, I can't think of another guy that, that even comes close. Uh, in my mind, I think, I know you, you, would like to dent as yeah. an option as well, but, uh, versus just been a guy who I mean he's getting a sack or two every practice and I expect him to do that in the game as well
0: and and like we said and I think it bears mentioning again the offensive line may struggle tomorrow if they're without a few guys we'll see exactly who there's without who they're without and I think who how many guys they're without should set the expectations I don't think if the offensive line struggles tomorrow without multiple key guys the the narrative should become oh the offensive line stinks. I would advise against that, but I like. But I mean, that's not to say that, like you said, Jared Versus is not going to have a really good day. Because I tend to agree. Um, so I'll put you on the spot, but I'll go first, real quick. We're uh, finish up. Uh, give me a a bold prediction for tomorrow. I'll, I'll start. I'm going to say that uh, C.J. Campbell, walk on running back who's really impressed the spring, scores a touchdown of some sort. All
1: right. Uh, my bold prediction is that. man, you are putting me on the spot. I'm going to say Micah Pittman is the best skill position player on offense. Uh, So I think Jordan ends up having ultimately the better day, but I think Pittman will be the best player, which, you know, may not sound crazy, but this isn't a guy that's really been on the first team like every single practice. He's not a guy who's been super productive in his three-year career at, at Oregon injuries you mentioned so to me it is a surprise because he hasn't exactly done it before and i think he'll do it in this game
0: okay i uh, i like to think mine's a little bolder but i did put you on the spot so that's it i didn't prepare you for that i kind of threw it on you uh, it should be a fun game some uh a lot of alumni i know expected to be back in town i know i think for E.J. Manuel, Danny Connell, Peter Bulware, and uh, Bryant McFadden are going to be guest coaches like they had kind of the media people be guest coaches last year. It should be a fun time if you're coming into town, if you're watching from home on ACC Network at 5, It, uh, I think it's going to be fun. I think you're going to see a more a more competitive, some hopefully some back and forth, and it should be a foretell of, I think, the improvement we both expect to see. Um from what we've seen this spring. And so uh, we'll we'll definitely be back next week to recap some of that. I have a kind of a, a cool segment idea that I might talk to Carter about bringing on the pod for next week. For now, though, we're going to go to uh, – Carter and I sat down with uh, Bob Davis and Matthew Quigley with Rising Spear talking to them about uh, the, the original, I guess the first announced NIL collective surrounding FSU athletics, kind of what went into it what they want to accomplish with it all. It's a pretty, pretty intensive, good interview. So we'll uh, be back with you on the other end of that. We are honored to be joined by uh, Bob Davis, Matthew Quigley with Rising Spear. Uh, guys, how's it going? It's going great, Kurt.
2: Thanks for us, inviting us on and, and also hello to Carter. Um, we're excited um, you know, the Tallahassee Democrat is the news source in Tallahassee. So uh, we're, we're glad to be involved.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess I mean we can start at the uh, at the the beginning. What what were the the early conversations like? What what compelled you to launch Rising Spear, and what were kind of those first steps?
2: Well, as you know, Kurt, I was chairman of the Seminole Boosters, and, and Alan Flamenhoff was my treasurer um, on the national board, and we were sitting in meetings, and we were talking about this concept called NIL, and um, speaking with the former athletic director and. I'm trying to figure out what FSU was going to do, and nobody was really doing anything. Um, So Alan and I talked about it and said, you know, our terms about up, why not us? So um, we decided to dive in and learn what we could about the NIL and and see how we could help FSU. So um, we did that back in October, and it took us forever get our um, name approved by FSU. We changed it multiple times to finally get something that they would approve, and then our logo, the spear, um, again, it took probably another month to get them to approve something there because they didn't want it to have any of their markings. So um, Anyway, so we started about two weeks before National Signing Day where we really could do stuff. we were behind the eight ball and we had no relationship with any student athletes Um, we had no relationship with recruits and you know as you know uh, they're contacting these kids in middle school now and developing relationships moving forward so we were were way behind but we're FSU so when we would call parents and uh, tell them about what we were doing they they would listen Um, and if we had difficulty getting through to them, we had this thing called our former Athlete Advisory Board that included people like Charlie Ward and, and Derek Brooks. And if they, if I, I'll be honest, if I would call and say, this is Bob Davis with Rising Spear, they would say, well, who, who the heck is Bob Davis and what's Rising Spear? Uh, if Charlie Ward would call somebody and say, this is Charlie Ward, they had an instant audience. So it gave us access that that we hadn't earned yet, because we hadn't had any relationships with those kids, so uh, it started off um, like that. We just spent all of our time on the telephone talking to I, in particular, talked to families, to the parents of recruits, and just let them know what we were doing and about Florida State. um, We got through the National Signing Day, and uh, I think Alan will tell you that we went to the National Signing Day celebration at, at the University Center, and we talked to each other. And Alan will tell you that we went into that day with BB guns, and everybody else had bazookas. So um, you know, we were we were not prepared for what was going to happen, nor was the athletic department. They had no idea that there was going to be the kind of deals going on with you know, the number one recruit in the country, in particular. So, um, so after that, Alan and I said, you know, we need to change not change but we need to really develop rising spear we need to get the website up and running we need to thank the Zimmerman agency for that they did a fabulous job with us it took longer than we wanted it to take um, the Seminole nation was impatient um, as were weak um, but you know it, it finally came together we got Matt to join our team and help us with all the social media stuff and in the huge splits we've got going on this week and um, people are responding um, in a big way. So we're very pleased where we are and uh, we will be loaded with bear come December when it's national signing day again, we'll have those relationships and we will have the opportunities for these kids that we didn't have
1: three months ago. You, you mentioned kind of having the former players helping you guys kind of spread the word out about rising spear and something else that you guys have kind of done recently is, is, have ambassadors actually on the team? Like AJ Duffy this week uh, became an ambassador. You guys have other players. What kind of goes into that ambassador role,
3: and, and what are yeah, what are they exactly uh, doing for you guys? Yeah, Carter. So the 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 current student athletes that are are ambassadors are they they've signed a Rising Spear contract, right? And the the alumni advisory board they are just solely just giving right their time and and donations to, to help out rising Spear and to help support the student athletes.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, like just for an example, AJ Duffy, is it just kind of like a social media thing where he's kind of like, uh, spreading the word about it so that other athletes on the team and recruits will, will know about it. Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: I mean, AJ Duffy, um, was one of the, the first half a dozen um, student-athletes that we signed to contracts. And he's experienced um, going out and, and being at, with the kids at the Boys and Girls Clubs. and uh, He's had the experience of what we're trying to do to make a difference in the community, and um, it impacted him. I mean, I got, a, I got a text from him after that first event saying, you know, I might have changed a young, a young man's life today. Um, he he realizes that he's got responsibilities both socially and, and a role model and um, so he takes that seriously he appreciates what we're doing with him and um, he wants rising spirit to grow so more student athletes in the community can can benefit even more
0: yeah i know it's a rising spirit i know is kind of divided into into two divisions if you will kind of the, the garnet standard the, the gold standard i guess walk us through the uh, differences between the two, the importance of having both and having them separated, and I guess, which have you seen more returns from in the early going?
2: Well, Kurt, th- there is. There's Rising Spirit Gold, there's Rising Spirit Garnet. Gold is the normal NIL platform where companies can contract with kids to do so uh, public appearances, social media postings, endorsements, all the kinds of things that you read about in the newspaper. So that's a platform where we build those relationships and contacts between the student-athletes and the companies. And those contract negotiations are purely, we will assist the student-athlete if they don't have representation, but that's purely between uh, the company and them. The contract is signed between the two parties. Um, Rising Spear doesn't touch the funds. It goes straight to the student-athletes. That's what everybody's doing in the country. Um, The difference in our Rising Spirit Gold and the other NILs is, as you've read, we don't charge a cent to the companies or to the student athletes for doing this. Um, Alan and I have pledged to cover the overhead and make sure that 100% of the money gets to the student athletes. So we, so we, we are the same in what we're doing, we're different in what the end result is. Rising Spirit Garnet, on the other hand, is a nonprofit organization, 501c3. Um, The uh, paperwork's been filed with the IRS. We're waiting for that final approval, which we don't anticipate any problem with. But that's where somebody that doesn't have a company or doesn't have a need for the NIL platform that exists out there for everybody else, but they want to help student-athletes and they want to help their community, they make a charitable contribution to Rising Spirit Garnet. We then use those funds to send the student athletes out into the community, whether it be in Tallahassee, the, the Big Bend area, or in their hometowns, um, if there's something that they want to do when they're at home. and The athletes get paid compensation for their appearances. The community nonprofit organizations that we're supporting certainly get some benefit by having student athletes out there in, in their projects, and, and the person gets a charitable deduction for what they're doing. So is kind of a triple win. Everybody involved gets some benefit and um, we have by far seen the biggest impact in Rising Spirit barnett because the typical uh, null fan um, doesn't own a company but they love FSU and they want to do something so I mean we've got the $500 a month in- 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 pledges, we've got Two hundred fifty dollars a month pledges from people that just want to make a difference in FSU athlete, uh, athletics and and
3: get the football program back to where it was. Hey, and Kurt, and I, and I want to touch on that uh, about the Rising Spear Garnet and, and how Bob and Alan really really crafted Rising Spear because it's it's just genius in, in how they did it. There's because there's a large portion of the fan base. I mean, even my friends that that are not fans of NIL. So the, the Rising Spear Garnet funds that really plays to that that person right it's a charitable donation it's it's doing good in, in the community in, in tallahassee i mean the boys and girls club of the big Bend is a phenomenal organization and i just really you know want to emphasize how smart that was for bob and Allen to do um and it's unlike anything else that's happening in, in the country
1: what gave you guys that idea i'm curious
2: um Alan and I have been very fortunate in the business world. Um, I was able to retire back in 2008 and wanted to... Uh, Carter, I wanted to become a big golfer and that didn't happen. Um, I was a much better CPA financial planner than I'll ever be a golfer. And, but part of growing up and starting a business was realizing how important giving back to the community is. I mean it became... Uh, one of my primary goals, and when I met Alan, um, Alan felt the exact same way. And and the Garnet was really his idea. He said, "You know, this is nobody's a fan of NIL except for the people getting the money." But um, it, it we found a way to make a difference in the community and to give back instead of just asking for money to compensate student athletes. So. To us, I I mean, honestly, I believe that if Alan and I had the opportunity, we would have rising spirit garnet and not have the headaches and and all the stuff that goes with gold because that's, you know, that's just ingrained in our life to give back and and we found a great platform to do that, make a difference in the community and and keep uh, the Knoll Nation
1: um, involved in it. I'm also curious just how, like, recruits into this as well because you know you guys have ambassadors you guys have the the garnet for the players but for recruits what what do you guys do as, as um, in terms of how you guys approach them um, are there only specific kinds of recruits you guys approach like just guys who are verbally
3: committed just just how does that kind of whole world work with this as well yeah Carter um, you know what kind of what we're doing right now in, in launching this crowdfunding campaign and, and this media blitz and, and our new website is is for a proof of concept to to show the recruits for 2023, 2024 and beyond. You know, look what look what look Florida State and Rising Spear what, look what they are doing. You know, once you step foot on campus, because with Rising Spear there will not be any pay to play. There will not be any sort of inducement. Uh, Bob Allen, myself, Lance Barton our alumni board, Charlie Ward, Derek Brooks, that everyone is against you know a signing bonus for a high school athlete. That is not going to happen. But we will explain to the recruits that once you step foot on campus, Rising Spear is here for you.
2: Yeah and and also Carter, we do communicate with the kids before they come. Um, You know we know based on all the stuff we read who the priority kids are for for Florida State so that we do contact them in advance of them signing a letter we do not make offers as Matt said we do not sign contracts with anybody until they're on campus and they're part of the Florida State family um, you, I'm sure y'all read and it was probably in the Democrat the, the recent report of the kid in California that is in high school and was offered an eight million dollar contract with three hundred and fifty thousand that being given to him why he's still a high school student um, the law is pretty clear that you cannot pay to play for play so you cannot make that contract that they've offered if it truly happened cannot offer that contract to a kid with the guarantee that he's going to go to the school you want him to go to he, he can go anywhere he wants and um, yeah we're just not going to play that game we're not going to try to give people financial inducement to come to Florida State Florida State speaks for itself Um, We will have the the financial rewards for them when they get here, but we're not going to make promises to them and we're not going to make offers to them before they become part of the family.
0: You've you've talked a a good bit about the alumni advisory board. How valuable had those people, Charlie Ward, Derek Brooks, even Megan King, Nikki Okamu, from kind of the, the non rev sport world, helped in terms of their experience and I'm sure them wishing this had been something they could have benefited from while they were in school?
2: You know, I I talked to Charlie when all this first started and I said, how would this have impacted you? Um, And he said, honestly, um, it wouldn't have changed my life. I would have taken the money and I would have put it in a private foundation and I would have helped the kids. Um, And that's just how Charlie is. But, you know, having a spokesman, and we would like to have advisory board members from every sport, Um, you know, if if there was a Brooks Kepko or a Buster Posey that had time to help us with this, just because they're such role models and they're great examples of uh, what can happen um, uh, by going through the system at Florida State University. So, uh, you know, the kids look up to those guys. And... um, yeah, you know, they, they have life experiences of what they went through at Forest State, so they can share that with the kids. They can give them guidance. And, and you know, I've seen Derek Brooks. I've seen even Peter Bolwer hand a card to a kid and say, you know, if you've got questions as you uh, go through this process, um, I can share what I've done. Um, I, you know, it's just a huge benefit for, for us. I don't know that other schools are doing it, but I'm sure they are. I'm sure they have other similar situations.
1: Yeah, I'm curious like the the non-revenue athletes, um, how it's been for them so far and maybe who you've seen at Florida State benefit the most uh, among those non-revenue athletes.
2: Well Carter, our very first contract that we did was an NIL Gold with Socrates. Um, When they won the national championship, we got the licensing for the shirt. And I think it was really the first joint NIL project between a university and an NIL organization to do something jointly. So yeah, we, we contacted the girls, and I think we had 19 or 20 of them sign a contract to market this shirt, and they got the, the proceeds, all the profits from that. Um, you know, and we want to do that type of thing for all the sports. But uh, they're just there's opportunities, particularly because of Garnet there's opportunities for every student athlete this morning I got a call from a mom um, whose son is a preferred walk-on and came in December or uh, January and she said I, I I've read about this I've heard about it my son is at FSU he really doesn't know anything about it he doesn't think he qualifies because he's a walk, preferred walk-on and and I said you know I, I've been at the Boys and Girls Club with these guys and those kids are five six seven years old if you show up with a florida state jersey on um you're a star in their minds i mean you're a role model for them so everybody can participate and i think that's the greatest thing about what we're doing is yeah everybody all 500 athletes have the opportunity to do this get involved in it, and make a difference and um the people that we're dealing with out in the organization the underserved population you know they just are just love having the kids out there and and providing role models and, and examples of the way to do the right thing so uh, we welcome every student athlete and I think Alan would tell you that was his primary goal when we started this is to give every student athlete at Florida State University the opportunity to experience NIL. Uh,
0: I mean it, it's obviously it's, it's such a new thing still being so fresh and I know there's another NIL collective around FSU. I'm sure multiple schools by now have multiple. I was wondering your, your thoughts on, do you think there's a there are benefits that come out of kind of such a saturated market? Or do you think it'd be better, everything coming out from one kind of collective?
3: I mean, look, we, we think the more opportunities for the student athletes, the better, right? The, the, the sole thing here for NIL is is to support the student athlete. And the more avenues they have, it's it's the better for them.
2: And that's true, Kurt. We you know when, what Dylan's doing in the community and, and helping people, we think is fabulous. Um, we've spoken with Dylan, and, and we're trying to arrange some joint projects. Um, what uh, McKenzie's doing now up here, um, we're all for it. You know, every opportunity a student athlete has, um, we the more the merrier. We're not in it to make money we're in it to provide opportunities for student athletes so um, those, those other organizations don't scare us um, hopefully we will lead by example and um, they'll see that the way we're doing it is working and um, we can have more interaction with them and do more joint
1: projects with them. So you know the, the current legislation does not allow Florida State to kind of coordinate with you guys and, and uh, collaborate on these deals uh, which probably makes you guys' life a lot harder. Um, I'm wondering once <laughs> once they are able to do that, once maybe they are able to do that, how different will Rising Sphere look like and what's kind of the vision, you know, three years, four years from now um, uh, with or without Florida State? Um. It will certainly be different
2: i mean you're right the legislation in florida we petitioned hard to get it the the new bill passed to allow the university to be involved i mean it's really not fair when every state has their own law and they're so different we rushed to get a law passed i think we were first for it to take effect in july of 2021 and um yeah we restricted it we restricted it where um Well, Alan and I were board members of Seminole Boosters. We had to resign um, because the law says that a director of a DSO is considered a state employee. The law says state employees cannot participate in NIL activities. So we gave up uh, those positions to be able to do this. When the law changes, and I think that the new speaker coming in is in favor of passing or getting the bill through the House and and Senate, what I think might happen eventually is I think it may become part of the university. Um, there would still be the NIL organizations out there to write the checks, but I think that there can be heavy involvement by the boosters, um, and you know we would wel- certainly welcome that um, to have that kind of administrative support and um, those abilities, but they still want direct compensation that would still be up to the nil company so they're not going to go away maybe a lot of the back room um support staff stuff could be absorbed by the university so
0: right, i think you you've you've given us a pretty uh, thorough rundown i'm open to uh, anything else y'all have to to share but i we appreciate and for sure the the listeners the the people who read it read the story as well will appreciate all you've shared
2: I, I just thank you for the opportunity, Kurt. You know, I, I have known Jim for a long time and um, certainly respect him. And, um, you know, one of my good friends coming into Tallahassee was Skip Foster, who used to, to be with the Democrat. And, you know, it's a great newspaper. I thank, I thank you. You are the, uh, the news source for Tallahassee. And it's a privilege for us to be uh, be able to come talk with you.
3: Yeah, Kurt and Carter, can't thank you all enough just make sure your your listeners your readers hit up rising spearcom what you can all of no nation to come support us plant that spear buy in rising spear Nil on Twitter Instagram and Facebook rising spearcom thanks guys and go Knolls.
0: appreciate it and we're back with you uh, thanks again to Bob and Matthew for taking the time I think a lot of uh, Good information. I think it's definitely the kind of thing that uh, will appeal to a, a, a lot of Florida State fans who, uh, who who want to help keep Florida State competitive. I mean, there are obviously so many unknowns in the NIL world, but uh, a, a big thing obviously is financial support. And now two uh, NIL collectives on around FSU that kind of bring different things to the table. So, I mean, I think uh, the competition, if you will, is makes things interesting.
1: Yeah. I think having two completely different things in the market can only be good, right? I mean, if they were the exact same, that, that would probably be a bad thing. I mean, I think ultimately, in an ideal world, you want Florida State to be legally allowed to, uh, you know, kind of orchestrate and coordinate these NIL things. In this world, I think it would also probably be good to have like one singular place to go to that offers everything. But I, I think with it being such an arms race and such a, a a race to, to get to these, these NIL collectives, I, I think they had to kind of rush these things. So I don't know if they really had the luxury of taking their time and, and, and building out an entirely fully fleshed thing that offers everything that everyone would ever want. And so I think having different pockets, uh, of NIL stuff that, that can be good for athletes, I think is, is, probably the best way to
0: go in this Florida state market for sure for sure um we will talk about some uh, other FSU athletic stuff here on the uh on the on the back end uh we should start I guess with the the news of the day here on on Friday the uh I would say further clarification on the uh, Mark Recorian FSU uh conscious uncoupling or whatever you want to call it Mark 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 Recorian's resignation from F- the FSU soccer program. I mean, it was obviously a, a shocker when it came down. I think caught just about everybody off guard. But the uh, the emails being released through through FOIA, kind of first written by uh, Knowles two four seven, kind of tell the story of uh, how how long this was in the works and 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 all that went into it. Oh boy! <laughs> oh man! That I mean, that, you said your team chaos, enough. Carter. Not this chaos though, right?
1: not this chaos i'm team chaos when it's not affecting livelihoods you, and it's
0: you want to be the,
1: affecting my job
0: you want to be the person watching eating popcorn in the like the in the the keenan gif or the michael jackson gif you don't want to be like tangentially yes. involved in the chaos
1: yes yes don't don't want to uh you know uh <laughs> see something like this while we're you know trying to record a podcast and write a couple stories yeah definitely uh I mean, let me just read you a, a part of the email yeah. uh, that Mark Precorian sent. Because this was, this was the, the one thing I read in it that I was I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, it, pretty illuminating for, for the situation. He says, I was not planning on coming back once the job offer was given to Michael Offord in December. He's talking about the athletic director. You asked me to give it a chance, which I agreed to. To do my salary request was an amount that I thought would allow me to look past working for someone that I didn't respect and didn't feel like I could trust. After the negotiation process, I am more convinced that I was right in how I viewed things in December. I mean that that is such a <laughs> wow. You know, you, you read that and you think, my goodness, uh, for a national championship coach to say that about a brand new athletic director at Florida State hired in December. yeah, um, obviously it, it, it would seem like there is some, some history there, but between the two or, or maybe the athletic director in this case is the scapegoat of years of frustration uh, from Mark before. And will, will we ever know? Uh, will we ever know the details uh, fully? I, I, I don't know. It, it's probably unlikely, but, um, it, it, it's safe to say it's a it's a messy situation. Uh, y- you hate to see this happen for Florida State, and this next hire for Michael Alford and and the you know the pending commitment to Florida State soccer will be something that I'm sure a lot of fans are um, curious about and will be looking forward to.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it confirms exactly how how rough an ending to to an incredible era this was, and, and I mean, I I tend to agree with you. Of I mean, w- we don't know the details for sure, and we we may never find out all the details. Although this provides a lot more context, but it seems clear to me that considering, I mean, Mark Riccorian won his most recent national title in December, and Michael Alford. Began as FSU's new AD He was appointed in December, began in January To me, yes, Michael Alfred Had been around for about 15 months before then With Seminole Boosters as the CEO over there It's, it's the kind of talk To me that I think it, it Extends, it reads Like beyond Michael Alfred. I don't think this was just about my Rhetoric that strong, to me Speaks to years of kind of Feeling, I think, Mike, Mark Corian Feeling that he didn't get enough support I don't think it was a a, a, yeah. a new thing. I mean, it, it it does bear mentioning. Michael Alfred played a big role in getting soccer the scoreboard that's being worked on now, in getting the yeah. new turf that's getting start started here in the next few weeks and be done in time for the season. I mean, those were the projects that Michael Alford played a big role in in helming and in getting started and in getting raising the money for. So I thank uh,
1: It's not like they were offering them. You know, pennies for no. his contract extension. They they were going to make him by far the most uh, highest paid coach in, in college soccer. So, so I mean,
0: he already was number one, and
1: he already was. But I'm saying he would he would have been made even more the highest yeah. paid coach in, in, in college I, soccer. So I mean, yeah, it's uh, and then you you see the part. There's a there was a part in that FOIA request where, you know, uh, Mark Recorion kind of expressed his frustration about the pandemic had you know they they had to kind of reduce his salary and then they they ended up paying him in whole later on and and I don't think he was super happy about that either um yeah which was was kind of confusing because it's like hey man you you were paid you know but um, I just think that like you said there were a lot of things that happened this is a guy who's been here for a while so I mean it's it's probably something that predates Alfred but um it's also strange to put it all on Alfred because you would think for a guy who is being quite honest, uh, or at least is being quite, uh, uh, blunt with, with what he's saying. Um, it would be weird to put it all on one guy, uh, if his frustrations extend beyond that. So there has to be some on Alfred, I would think, but it's also, it's, it's kind of confusing. And so that's why, you know i i know um you know we're gonna probably try to reach out to mark kakorian and and get his side of the story like we say there's always two sides to a story and and you you did a great job catching up with him after all this happened and and getting you know uh getting the side that said hey i'm not i don't have another job lined up i don't have something uh that I'm leaving for, which made it pretty clear, like, Hey, this is someone who was frustrated and, and just left and just left without having something lined up. Um, and so it, it's something that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to talk to Mark and, and get his side of the story. Uh, but when we talk about Florida state, seems like, you know, it's not like they're not committed to soccer right now. It seems like they are with, with the scoreboard and everything, uh, they're they're going to make an effort to still make this uh, you know at least somewhat of a priority for the yeah. athletics department.
0: it is not something that I think I think Michael Alford and FSU are ready to kind of move forward. I think the the releasing of the FOIA emails, which is a requirement. It's not something they can kind of choose to do or not do. It's a requirement as a a public entity. But I think they were more incentivized to do because I think they they see that it paints them in a better light than i think they were originally painted in by the whole situation when there weren't really many details but i i know that they don't kind of want to talk about this a ton more they kind of hope this is the the final chapter one thing i mean michael alford made clear to me in a conversation earlier today was our commitment to fsu soccer is not changing that it, there was no it, it's nothing of that sort whatsoever the the financial commitment will remain the same i would say as evidenced by the upgrades that are happening with FSU soccer stadium and complex this off season, And that whoever the new coach is, and I know that search is underway, whoever, whoever the new coach is that uh, they're going to get a, a, a similar level of support and they're going to have, I think a heck of a team they're inheriting too, coming off a national title. So I think that it closes the book on the chapter for now. We'll see if again, we'll see if another, another uh, chapter, Kind of comes, or if this is the the final chapter of kind of the public discourse around this. But either way, it's uh it's unfortunate all around. It's unfortunate that a great career ended this way. It's unfortunate that that th- this happened. I mean, in in the first few months of Michael Halford's tenure, it's a pretty unfortunate start for him, both in terms of public perception and having to deal with something like this. But uh, yeah, it's I don't know, kind of what else to say on the matter besides that. Let's uh let's end on a, a bit of a brighter note after kind of a a, a tough conversation there. Uh, baseball and softball teams, both uh the both those teams got really strong wins this week. One needed the win more than the other. I don't think Florida State softball needed to go beat Florida in Gainesville, but it's just further proof of exactly how good this this team is.
1: Yeah, I mean it. Took ten innings uh, to beat them, and man, it it was uh, fun to watch. Sydney Sherrill, second home run of the year. Cat uh, Sandercock getting two two shutout innings to to end the game. Uh, this is a team that just wins, man. I mean, what thirty six and two now, and coming up, they've got the highest ranked uh, ACC softball matchup uh, series in, in history number two fsu number four vatek uh should be a great one here uh in tallahassee and and like you said baseball yeah they they needed that one bad it was a five game losing streak they were on they they just dropped uh just been just been swept by uh notre dame and and former former fsu star link jarrett uh not a great not a great stretch for them and it looked like it was going to happen again they're down 4-2, two outs in the bottom of the ninth and Jackson Green comes in as a pinch hitter and it's a two run bomb and you know a few innings later they're in the 12th and uh, Jordan Carrion hits an RBI single, wins the game in, in walk-off fashion. They've, they've had uh, three walk-offs this year, I think they've had three or four that have, have gone to the extra innings, it's been 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 some some fun games for fsu baseball this year but uh yeah georgia tech this weekend will be a pretty big series uh for both clubs i mean florida state coming off the sweep georgia tech has dropped its last three series so uh both both teams are playing with uh a little bit of urgency i would think and uh i I think if florida state can can win that series they can get get back uh to, to where they were uh, you you mentioned this. I mean, you, your kind of thought was for the baseball team, Kurt. You you were saying, and hey, this is just baseball, right? Like you're gonna have slumps. You're gonna you're gonna be on fire for a little bit. Is that is that still kind of what you're thinking? And you think they'll rebound this weekend? Um, I
0: mean, it won't it 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 won't be easy. I mean, Georgia Tech. The thing with Georgia Tech, when you look at them, is they can really really hit. Obviously, a uh, hitting coach up there, James Ramsey, a, a Florida State baseball legend who I know was briefly back as the uh, volunteer assistant here before he got the uh, the the gig up there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they can really hit, and they they can't really pitch at all. Their, their pitching staff's pretty good. It's kind of the opposite of FSU. Not that FSU's been bad at hitting, but obviously lately it's been a, a bit of a struggle, a number of guys slumping at once. So I think it's going to be a fascinating series because it's the strength on strength, where, I mean, Florida State's weekend rotation is probably among the best in the country. And, and Georgia Tech's lineup is probably among the best in the country. I mean, a guy like Kevin Pareda is going to be a high, high draft pick this next year for uh, the Georgia Tech catcher. I mean, he is not an especially great catcher, but he's a heck of a hitter, is is among the best hitters in the country probably and and is regarded as a really solid draft pick. I know they have a number of other guys in the lineup. So, I mean, it's the type of game where it would be interesting to see if they – if they devolve into the low-scoring games if Florida State's pitching staff is able to win or if Florida State has to kind of win those, like, 9-7-10-8 type games where they just have to outscore because, obviously, scoring has been a struggle lately. Even Wednesday, Florida State didn't score against Stetson until the seventh inning. I think in the second inning, they had the bases loaded, no outs, and didn't score a run. So they, they've they been in a bad way. Some of that's baseball, but, I mean, it's also... It, it, yeah, it feels like an important series because you look at kind of the the... NCAA tournament projections have started coming out and you, uh, you're seeing Florida state who had won its first, what six series of the season until last weekend getting swept is not a host as of right now, according to both D one baseball and baseball America. They're looking at, I think they were picked as a, a two seed going to the Athens regional up at Georgia in, uh, in both of their projections kind of at the midway mark. And, uh, it's not. It wouldn't be as tough a challenge as a few years ago when FSU actually came out of the Athens regional against a really good Georgia pitching staff. This Georgia team, I don't think, is that good. But obviously, it, it feels like Florida State's right there. It feels like a couple good weekends in a row, and Florida State will be setting itself up for being a probably an eight to 6 or a nine to sixteen team seed in the NCAA tournament. I think they could host a regional for the first time in a while, but it will be on. Uh, it will be on the players kind of ensuring that slump was a brief one and snapping out of it this weekend and in the next few weeks to uh, to make that happen.
1: This is going to be a big, big stretch and big final, I mean, really big season overall for Mike Martin Jr. Uh, I mean, it's hard to find a better starting rotation uh, than this with, with Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, and, and Ross Dunn. Mm-hmm. And then you also add Carson Montgomery. I mean, that, that guy's been pretty good for pretty much the whole year. Um, it, it, if you squander this, if you can't host a regional with this, and if you can't get out of a regional with this, I mean, it, it's it's just not a good look when when you have uh, that kind of talent. Uh, they added a lot of transfers this year in hopes that that would add enough to kind of support that talent. Uh, we saw Alex Terrell really start off the season well. He's, he's been in quite the sump
2: uh,
0: yeah.
1: lately. Jordan Carrion has had his moments. Same with with Brett Roberts. But uh, overall, uh, we've seen a lot really come from guys like Reese Albert, the the, the freshman, and and Jaime Ferrer, and James Tibbs. Um, so, yeah, th- this offense, it, 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 like I said, it, they're not horrible, but man, lately they they've kind of looked horrible at times. So it's been a uh, struggle. They they need to get they need to get it together because you know I, I remember last Friday against Notre Dame, Parker Messick goes seven shutout innings. It's maybe the best start of his career, and they can't support him with a single run. That yeah. that just can't, that can't happen. That can't happen. Um, if you got to go more small ball, you know I don't know what you do. That I think Mead has talked a lot about their approach, just being more patient. Um, but you know, he said it time and again, and it's just not really uh, clicking for for the guys. So um, I I don't know what changes will need to be made, but ultimately, when you got a pitching staff like this, you you can't you can't squander it.
0: Yeah, because I I don't think pitching staff is going to be bad next year, but I think it's safe to assume you're losing both Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, who are pro- who are projecting as I mean. Fringe first or second round draft picks Both both should be taken pretty high And, and I would doubt are back next year I don't think it's going to be a bad staff If you're looking at some combination of Ross Dunn Carson Montgomery, Jackson Bomeister Or Wyatt Corwell But it won't be the same level of pitching staff It feels like the if you don't take advantage of this staff It's hard to see it getting a ton better next year It could Baseball's weird But I, I, I think this is, the st- this is the year where Meat really needs to take advantage Absolutely, I I think we've uh we've covered it, it pretty extensively. I'm fascinated to see how that series goes this weekend over at the uh, at Joanne Graff Field, the Seminole Softball Complex. Um, I mean, J Tech hasn't lost an ACC play. It's uh it, it, it's hard to bet against FSU right now. I mean, they're seven to zero against ranked teams this year, but this will be their first ranked team ranked game at home, which is kind of crazy to uh to to think about. But it's uh, it should be some crazy atmospheres over there it'll be interesting to see i mean i think if florida state were to win all three games it would be their best start through 41 games ever at 39 and 2 but that won't be easy clearly virginia tech's got some very good pitchers and should uh really test fsu so we'll uh we'll be back next week i'm sure we'll do some uh some spring game recaps, some some further updating on whatever else is going on in the world of florida state sports we uh we appreciate you for for listening for if you subscribe to the podcast if you leave us a review on itunes or anywhere else that's always uh Greatly appreciated, and uh, yeah, we, we appreciate it. For for Carter, I'm Kurt. Have a good one.